Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservations. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 121. Um, we're going to go back. We're going to pick up on a past um, episode. We started talking about uh, the posh, you know, preparation for finishing. Um, and we talked about cabinet-type scrapers and how to, how to sharpen them and things of that nature. So we're going to pick up the finishing process where, uh, where we left off with that last episode. So, so um, we're going to talk about first cleaning off the dust. So, you know, after you uh, have sanded, you've, you've cabinet scraped your, your, your new object or even your repair, you know, a Dutchman or, uh, you know, some replaced moldings or something on an object, you need to clean the dust off. So, so whenever the last step involves like sandpaper, cabinet scraper, um, you leave dust on the wood. The dust must be cleaned off before applying any finish. So there are four ways to remove dust. Brush it off. Wipe it off with a tack cloth, which is a, a cloth made sticky by the application of a very thin varnish-like material that leaves gummy residue. Vacuum it off or blow it off with compressed air. Brushing is usually the easiest, easiest and most convenient, but probably the least efficient way of removing dust. Some very fine dust will always be left on the surface and in the pores. Nevertheless, brushing is usually adequate, though. I like to blow air, but you got to be careful that your air, um, you have a filter in the air, and you're not blowing any uh, any oil out of the air compressor, and, and that can cause you major, major grief. So, But a tack, clo- tack cloth can be used after brushing to remove the rest of the surface dust. But a tack cloth still won't pull much of the dust out of the pores of porous woods like white oak and and even some you know some forms of walnut and mahogany they're they have they have pores depending on how the the timber was cut at the mill and tack cloths are more effective when used between coats of finish so you shouldn't use a tack cloth when you're using water based stainer varnish though the varnish like substance will hinder good flow out and bonding of the, that type of finish a vacuum is the most efficient way to remove dust if if kicking dust into the air might create a problem in your finishing room. Otherwise, compressed, compressed air could be the most efficient way, particularly if you're using a, you know, a fan, explosion-proof fan in your spray booth. Put it in front of the fan, blow toward the fan. Then use compressed air outdoors or in a well-ventilated space um, where the airborne dust will be evacuated. Though it seems quite logical that a better finish will be achieved if absolutely all the dust is removed from the pores. Don't be compulsive about it. You won't be able to see the difference anyway. Okay. Glue splotches. These are always major problems. So when you know you're gluing something, wipe it off. But let's talk about it. So no matter how hard you try to avoid it, it's likely that now and then you'll end up with a surface of the wood during glue up. Either the glue will squeeze out of the joints as you clamp the pieces together or will transfer glue to the wood with your fingers. So here's some tips to help you avoid getting glue on the wood. Don't put excessive amounts of glue in the joints. Only when gluing up boards edge to edge should you apply glue on a liberal basis. In this case, you'll want to squeeze out to indicate that you've applied enough glue and tighten the clamps adequately. Cut your mortises or dowel holes a little deeper to allow excess of glue to collect at the bottom instead of being squeezed out. 
cut a chamfer around the edge of your mortises and a countersink in your dowel holes to hold excessive glue and to keep it from squeezing out. You can cut a chamfer with a chisel or a rasp and the countersink uh, with a needle nose rasp, uh, a countersink bit or even an oversized drill bit used carefully so that it doesn't cut too deep. So have both a clamp and dry cloth ready nearby so you can remove any glue that may be on your hands. Wipe your hands with the damp cloth, then quickly dry them so that you won't touch the wet wood. So removing glue from the wood. There are two ways to remove glue from the wood. Redissolve it and wash it off or scrape or sand it off. If the glue is still wet, it will be easier to wash off. If the glue is cured, it's usually easier to scrape it off. But it's also possible to wash off cured glue as long as it can dissolve with it in water as a solvent. So, so if you choose to wash the glue off with water, hot water will work much more quickly. You'll have to follow this by sanding the washed area once it's dried. Or you'll have to wash the entire project over. So all areas have to be treated alike because any part of the wood that has become wet will show up darker when stained. The problem is, is worse on softwoods such as pine, poplar, or even soft maple. To avoid swelling the grain, substitute acetone or lacquer thinner, which contains acetone for the water. Acetone, toluene, and xylene break down, in effect strip white and yellow glue. Taking glue out of the pores with one of these solvents is much like taking paint out of the pores with stripper. You need to scrub the wet surface with a stiff bristle or wire brush. Scrub with the grain so the scratching will be much less visible. You'll have to, <clears throat> to re-sand the area you scrubbed to match the surrounding areas also. So instead of dissolving the glue out of the wood, you can always scrape or sand the glue off. The disadvantage of removing glue splotches this way is that it's hard to tell when you've gone too deep enough to get all of the glue out of the pores. The glue will still show up lighter under a stain. The advantage is that you don't damage the wood with water. Neither washing or scraping is necessarily better. I use both methods at various times, and the one I choose depends on the situation according to whether a rag or a scraper is handily at the moment. So if you're prone to getting a lot of glue on the surface of your work, I suggest you do most of your sanding after you've assembled the piece. I also suggest that you sponge your work after you've finished sanding it. Sponging will highlight deposits of glue in the wood. They'll show, up the, <clears throat> they'll show up lighter than the surrounding wood, so you can be sure to remove them. So let's talk about removing glue splotches after staining. So despite your best efforts, you may still have glue splotches after staining. Then what do you do? It's usually best to scrape or sand the splotches to below the depth of the glue. Then restain. You can use a hand scraper, a paint scraper, or a sharp edge of a chisel used as a scraper. So whether you scrape or sand, you'll have to sand the area back to the same grit that you once sanded everything else. Then reapply the stain. If there's any color difference between the repaired and unrepaired parts, apply more stain and sand the entire section with the same grit sandpaper while the stain is still wet. If you are using water-based stain, you'll have to use wet-dry sandpaper, then wipe off the excess stain. 
this wet staining will almost always blend in the two parts. So if you still have color differences that you can't live with, you may have to strip the entire piece, re-sand. It's not necessary to get all the color out of the wood, but to start over, you've got to get most of it out. So let's talk about dents, gouges, and holes. So no matter how careful you are, you probably uh, will dent or gouge your wood somewhere in the preparation of assembly steps. And you may also have small holes like finished nail holes that you like to cover up. And also um, what I run into in restoration is just these people that just, they, they couldn't control themselves. I mean, you know, they, they wanted to change hardware on pieces over, you know, uh, 250, 300 years. And drop dead secretary, maybe it's a double dome secretary, maybe it's a Bombay secretary or a marketry secretary having multiple, you know, holes for, for hardware. And it's crazy. And it, it's so time consuming to try and camouflage or hide one hole, let alone, you know, a series of, uh, of 18 or 20 holes. So, um, and it's just, it's, it's maddening, but, uh, and you can never, you can hide in the beginning, you can in paint, I can grain paint, um, and do what I do, but in the end, the materials, um, as they age, will always show what you've done. I mean, you, you can't lie. It's uh, it's it's. In the beginning, you may you may uh, hide everything up, but then it will always come back uh, to haunt you or someone else. So, no matter, no matter how careful you're, probably uh, in in these dents. Um, or actually compressions in woods. We'll talk about the dents first, but we'll talk about steaming dents. So these compressions, they often can be steam flush as long as the fibers have not been broken. Steaming swells the wood fibers, filling out the depression. Dents are easiest to steam flush if the surface is horizontal. Put a drop or two of water in the dent with an eyedropper or syringe. Let the water soak in a little. Add some more water, if needed, to form a bead over the dent and then touch the water with a very hot, hot object to turn it into steam. You can use a soldering iron, the tip of an iron, or simply a pointed metal object that has been heated over a flame. Wipe off any deposited soot before touching the metal to the water. Steam Steamed out dents is not 100% effective or predictable, but it's nearly so. So, so um, if if you let the raised grain dry thoroughly at this dent, the steam dent, before sanding it smooth, you'll usually get away with a mark so slight that you will barely see it. And you can almost say that it was in the wood. So, so when the grain has been severed, however, it's seldom possible to raise it flush again. Um, severed grain should be treated as a gouge. The wood will have to be either cut out or patched with another piece of wood or filled in with a foreign material. So let's, let's touch about on wood patches. So if the gouge is large, a wood patch is best because it'll be easier to disguise and it will be permanent. A wood patch is also best for filling splits in the woods or gaps left by poorly fitted joints. Um, a wood patch, its grain aligned with that to the surrounding wood will shrink and expand with the surrounding wood and will be much less likely to crack and come out at a later date. Foreign materials such as wood putty are not flexible and are not seldom permanent when used to fill large gouges, splits, or gaps. 
The principle for patching a gouge with wood is the same as for plugging a screw hole. The patch will be less visible, however, if it is diamond-shaped, or at least elongated instead of round or square. Determine a shape you want to use and cut it out of another piece of wood that has a color and grain pattern similar or close to the wood you're trying to replace. Trace the pattern onto the surface you're repairing and cut out the necessary wood with a chisel. If the damage area is too large, you can use a router together with a jig to control it more exactly. Alternately, you can cut out the shape with your damaged surface first and then transfer the shape to the patch with tracing paper. It's best to make the patch a little thicker than necessary so it protrudes above the surface of the wood. Trim a flush patch with the chisel, plane, or hand scraper if the glue has dried. So patching splits in woods or gaps in joints is easy also. Simply cut out some thin slivers out of the same type of wood or use already cut veneer and insert the correct thickness into the opening. It's sometimes helpful to taper the silver a bit so that it the sliver a bit so that it will slide in easily and fill the gap. So after the glue dries, trim the insert flush with this type of repair is usually easy to disguise and almost always a permanent fixture as the surrounding wood would have been. So, so let's talk a little bit about uh, wood putty, something we really don't use that much, but I think for the homeowner geared more toward this podcast. So it's much less work to use wood putty to fill a gouge, split or gap, than it is to insert a wood patch, obviously. Wood putty can be quite effective for filling small defects. Wood putty is simply a binder, such as a finish, glue, or gypsum, plaster, or paris, and some solid material, such as sawdust, whiting, which is calcium carbonate, or wood flour, very fine sawdust. The binder cures and holds the solid particles together to make the patch. You may have not thought about it before, but most of the wood putties available commercially are the same as the finishes you use, only with some wood flour or whiting added to provide balk. This explains why wood putties don't even stain easily. Neither do finishes once they've cured. There are three common types of commercial wood putties, those based on nitrocellulose lacquer, those based on wood or acrylic finish, and those based on gypsum. You can tell which kind you have by the instructions on the container. A nitrocellulose-based wood putties can be thinned or cleaned up with acetone or lacquer thinner, which contains acetone. Water-based acrylic putties can be cleaned up with water until they harden. Gypsum-based wood putties come in powder form. You mix them with water. Homemade wood putties are usually made from glue and sawdust, Takes, <clears throat> take some fine sawdust, preferably from the same wood that you're working on, the same piece of the object, which you're going to match, and mix it with any type of glue, epoxy, white glue, yellow glue, if preferred. Use a minimum amount of glue with a maximum amount of sawdust. So if you use too much glue, the patch will be much darker than the surrounding wood. Whichever wood putty you use, apply it in the same way. Take a little put, little wood putty on a putty knife or dull screwdriver if the hole is small and push it down in the hole or gouge. If the depression is not very deep, smooth off the top by pulling a knife across the surface toward you. 
You want the putty to form a very slight mound so that when it shrinks and as it dries, it won't leave a hollow. It's best not to manipulate the putty any more than necessary, since it becomes increasingly unworkable the longer it's exposed to air. But don't be sloppy. The binder in the putty is finished, glue, or um, plaster, so that it will bond to any part of the wood it comes in contact with, preventing stain penetration or even leaving a splotch. So once the putty is thoroughly cured, sand it level with the surface wood. Um, if you're working on a flat surface, back the sandpaper with a flat block. So, so to match the surrounding area, wood putty patches can be colored in one of two ways. Color the putty while it's still part in paste form, or color the patch after that is cured. To color the putty itself, you can use universal tinting colors available at most paint and supply art stores. Universal tint tinters, tinting colors, will work with the three commercial types of wood putty as well as with homemade glue and sawdust systems. The color you want to match is the color the wood will be after it is sanded and finished. It may take some experimentation to arrive at that color. You can practice on some scrap wood. The trick is to judge the colors while they are still damp. At that stage, the colors will be close to what you'll get when the finish is applied. The color of the dry stain or wood putty will not be accurate. It's usually easier to color the putty before applying it, but you can get better results by coloring the patch after it is dry and has been sanded smooth. This is because wood is seldom uniform in color. It almost always has subtle differences as a result of grain and, and figure um, configurations. So to color a putty patch, you should apply your stain if you're using one and your first coat of finish, the sealer coat, to the entire surface in order to see the correct colors that you're wanting to, uh, to imitate. So, so once this sealer coat is dry, you need to paint in the grain and figure and the background color. The background color is the lightest color visible in the surrounding wood. You may also want to scratch pores into the patch with a point of a knife or in order to uh, imitate deep porous wood such as oak, mahogany, or walnut. So no matter what you use for patch gouges or and, and no matter how well your color patch is, it probably will show after several years. The surrounding wood will darken or lighten differently than the patch itself, causing the patch to stand out. The only way to avoid this problem is entirely is do not patch. The closest you can come to keeping the colors the same is to make the patch from wood taken from scraps of the board or the piece you're working on and set it into. So let's talk about wax crowns. It's seldom worth um, trying to fill small nail holes with wood putty. You'll make a mess around the hole because the putty will stick wherever it touches the wood, and it's usually easier to wait until the complete completion of the finishing process. Then rub over the hole with a wax crown of a front door, or I'm sorry, of a closed collar. Um, wax crowns and wood tones are available at most paint stores and home centers. As long as a hole is small, you won't see the patch unless you're looking for it at all. So, so that finishes up at... Uh, you know, the basics of wood preparation for finish. And next time we're going to get into the, uh, the tools necessary for applying finishes.